0: Focus on headline. And let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this joining us in the studio, the Sochi sisters are back in action again. Kwanzua Chejihi. Guys, welcome back.
1: Good, Good evening. evening. After so long. Feels like, yeah, right, well, two weeks, three weeks. Gee, if
0: you're not so busy all <laughs> the time, maybe the Sochi sisters will be here every Thursdays, like it used to be, right? Uh, but, nevertheless, it's good to see you guys. We have it's been a very, very busy day in the I have news. I
2: apologize uh, first uh, already for the next three weeks, though, <laughs> oh, but you no. won't have Sochi. <laughs>
0: okay, well, I mean, we'll we'll fi- we'll have to see what's going on after that. But, uh, well, you guys are here today, and you guys have the latest reports on a very busy day of news today, but uh, we are going to start things off uh, with uh, what's going on over in New York with the UN General Assembly, as we said. Uh, South Korean President Yoon Sung Yeol taking to the podium for a keynote speech, which, again, as predicted, included messages, uh, including uh, in regards to North Korea and Russia's recent meeting and the speculation that there are there's going to be some sort of military cooperation uh, between those two countries. So uh, you're going to start us off. Uh, let's get the latest details from President Yoon's keynote speech over at the UN uh, General Assembly. <laughs>
2: All right, President Yoon Gyeol, who's in New York for the 78th UN General Assembly, used Wednesday's address as an opportunity to send out a warning to Pyongyang and Moscow regarding their potential military cooperation. He said if North Korea gets in the hand of information and technology for the enhancement of its weapons of mass destruction capabilities in exchange for supporting Russia in its war in Ukraine with conventional weapons— That kind of deal would be a quote-unquote direct provocation to peace and security, not only to the peace and security in Ukraine, but also South Korea. This comes on the back of a recent meeting between North Korean leader Kim Jong-un and Russia's President Vladimir Putin in Russia, where the two have made discussions on arms transfer. President Yoon stressed that Seoul and its allies and partners will not, quote, stand idly by. He noted that despite different levels of military strength, if everyone unites in solidarity, any unlawful threat can be handled and vowed for South Korea to take a big responsibility in building up peace in the world. And with that, he also mentioned Seoul's role as a non-permanent member of the UN Security Council from 2024 through 2025. And speaking of the UNSC, President Yoon also claimed claimed it paradoxical that a permanent member of the council is waging a war by invading another sovereign nation and even takes ammunition and weapons from a regime that is heavily sanctioned by the UNSC. So... Referring to Russia and North Korea here because Russia is one of the five permanent members of the Security Council and Russia also was part of all of these sanctions that were uh, earlier in previous years that were issued against North Korea. Um, Also, President Yoon expressed his understanding of why there are calls for a reform of the UN Security Council. Yoon also mentioned North Korea's missile and nuclear programs and how much of a challenge these are across the globe, but noticeable that this year's speech was especially focused on the cooperation between the North and Russia, because in all of the president's, uh, former president's speeches at the UN General Assembly, they would have messages to North Korea, but this time it looked kind of different, speaking about Russia and North Korea.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, the international community has been uh, watching very carefully this uh, potential military cooperation between North Korea and Russia. Uh, The U.S. has been coming out saying that uh, they're going to, I believe, uh, what was it, I believe uh, the U.S. Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, came out uh, recently saying that in an Interview with NBC, uh, saying that the, the U.S. is going to do uh, wherever it can, whenever it can, uh, to stop any some any sort of military arms deal between the two countries. Uh, even uh, first vice foreign minister of uh, South Korea, Chang uh, Woo Jin, uh, coming out saying that if indeed there are tangible uh, evidence. That uh, North Korea and Russia are going to be uh, cooperating militarily, that there's going to be at least a unilateral sanction coming from South Korea. But he urged, uh, I believe, the international community to come together for their sanctions as well. This includes the US, Japan, and the EU, because what he feels is that the UN Security Council doesn't, it, it's not effective, right? Because you have Russia there as with the veto power, and you also have China uh, who's probably going to use these veto powers. So we're seeing a lot of calls. Uh, uh, for a stop in the military cooperation. But I want to also note something very interesting here. Uh, one of the things that we often talk about, uh, we often see is which country goes first in like bilateral summits, right? Mm-hmm. And so like it used to be, we think, I think it was like, uh, was it last week? We talked about how now it's uh, Korea- Japan-China Japan, China trilateral yeah. summit that they're working <laughs> on, right? And so depending on how close, and even during, I believe, during, what is it, uh, 2018, uh, when things were pretty good with the two Koreas, mm. uh, they used to go North Korea-U.S. summit, mm. which was unprecedented at this time. Right. But looking at North Korea-Russia, we've always said that it was North Korea-Russia, but President Yoon Sagar, during his keynote speech to the United Nations General Assembly, he mentioned as Russia North Korea. Jihee, let's get more on that.
1: Right. So, President Yoon Se-ger, who is visiting the United States, referred to North Korea and Russia as Russia North Korea. Like you said during his keynote address to the United Nations General Assembly on Tuesday, uh, local time. And Yoon said the Russian-North Korean military deal is a provocation directly aimed at the security and peace of the Republic of Korea, as well as Ukraine. Now, this is quite different uh, from usual government statements and media reports, which typically refer to the two countries as North Korea and Russia. And while the recent military cooperation between North Korea and Russia poses a threat to security on both sides, it's understood that North Korea could pose a more direct threat to South Korea than Russia uh, with its nuclear development and missile test launches. Now, Foreign Minister Park Jin said during a meeting with Russian Minister Sergei Lavrov on the sidelines of the G20 summit in New Delhi earlier this month, uh, that the ROK-Russia relationship should be conducted in a way that contributes to peace and stability on the Korean Peninsula and in Northeast Asia while complying with Security Council resolutions. Now also notable is how earlier this month on the sidelines of the ASEAN Summit, Yoon referred to the three Northeast Asian countries in the order of Japan-China, after ROK of course, Mm -hmm. uh, rather than China-Japan. And this is also a clear change in the diplomatic stances of the Yoon administration. And in this regard, a senior presidential office official met with reporters and emphasized that the government is working more closely with the U.S. and Japan on the basis of solidarity, of values, and freedom, also adding that the government prefers to put the U.S. before North Korea when referring to the two, and also uh, Korea, Japan, and China, like I said, in that order, when referring to the trilateral Northeast states.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting relations right now with uh, South Korea and Russia, because it is for sure. Uh, South Korea is definitely condemning this war, uh, the illegal invasion, as they say, against uh, Ukraine. And uh, they are willing to help with uh, the assisting of Ukraine through non lethal. Uh, made and uh, humanitarian aid as well. And uh, one of the things that came out was interesting is uh, uh, Taeyong-ho, right? Uh, who, he's the PPP lawmaker, former defector, you know, North Korean diplomat turned uh, defector turned now uh, South Korean lawmaker. He raised speculation that if let's say North Korea and Russia uh, do go forth with the military cooperation that South Korea could potentially assist Ukraine with lethal weapons, is what they said. And I believe, again, v- uh, first vice foreign minister, uh, Chang wo jin was questioned in regards to this and basically said, no, uh, that's not it. Because if that happens, then it's going to further deteriorate uh, relations between uh, South Korea and Russia. And so given that there is still business going on there's a lot of uh, south korean companies that are in russia that's kind of uh, impacted by this war in ukraine i think they're still treading this very carefully which is why i'm not surprised that it's russia north korea at this time uh let's move on here so uh uh, president Yoon not only addressed the un members to denounce north korea and russia or i guess russia and north korea uh, but also announced a plan to launch the so-called carbon free alliance tell us more about this
2: Right. This is called, in short, CF Alliance, and we're not. Knocked- talking about TV advertisements. (laughs) So uh, this was President Yoon's proposal for clean energy ambitions that should help the environment and also the international community by narrowing the gaps among developing and developed countries in climate change crises. He described it as an open platform that anyone in the world can join to promote the adoption of carbon-free energy. South Korea's role in this will be the promotion of renewable energy and high efficiency carbon-free energy like nuclear power and hydrogen. And we know that the current UN administration is actually pretty uh, straightforward when it comes to nuclear power, different from the previous Moon jae administration. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so this is going in line with uh, South Korea's plan to go carbon neutral, uh, shared by many other countries as well. I think for many countries uh, there's a 2050 target. Uh, the carbon-free alliance Alliance, uh, would be, meanwhile, different from the RE100, a global initiative that focuses on the commitment of securing 100% renewable energy, as the CF alliance also recognizes other energy sources that avoid direct carbon emissions, again, uh, like hydrogen and nuclear power. Mm-hmm. The president also promised that South Korea will largely increase its official development assistance, or in short, known as ODA, budget for next year. Including a contribution of an additional $300 million to the Green Climate Fund. So there's a big focus on green ODA. The country's ODA spending for 2024 is expected to be expanded by more than 40%, and that's more than double the amount funded back in 2019. Tailored allocation to partner countries, be it an ODA for education and training or climate change issues, has been highlighted during the president's speech as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, this issue was uh, raised before in like the COP uh, meetings where they're saying, well, I mean, all it's all the major economies that are leading uh, the, the emissions, uh, carbon emissions, but it's the smaller countries that are suffering from all this. And I believe a lot of these like island countries who have been impacted by the rising sea levels and so forth, they were saying, look, it costs a lot to go from heavily dependent on coal to go green. It co- mm-hmm. it just costs a lot of money. And so a lot of these major economies, they have the money uh, to do so, but what about the smaller countries? And right. so it is also very important that if the global, I guess the global community as a whole goes green together, that some of the larger economies need to help out. And so this uh, green ODA, I think it's a pretty good uh, uh, plan moving forward here. Uh, let's continue to talk about President Yoon Yeol. Of course, we talked about yesterday. I think the foreign ministry was saying like he's aiming for like a Guinness World Record and <laughs> the most number of summits being held in a single month. Uh, he, again, on the third day uh, held a series of summits with world leaders in New York on Wednesday local time. Uh, this, again, as part of his ongoing efforts to secure that support for South Korea's bid to host the 2030 World Expo mm. in Busan. From what I understand, Riyadh is currently in the lead. There is still time before the vote goes on. So G, let's get more on this.
1: Sure. So President Yoon, on the third day of his trip to attend the UN General Assembly, used the annual gathering to meet dozens of leaders on the sidelines in a last-minute push uh, to bolster the country's campaign for this expo bid in uh, 2030. Now, Yun engaged in a series of discussions with leaders from various continents, including Europe, Africa, the Middle East, and Central Asia. Uh, and each meeting lasted approximately 30 minutes. And Yoon met with Swiss President Alain Berset, uh, during which he expressed gratitude for the 60th anniversary of the diplomatic ties between the two countries. And he further expressed hopes for close cooperation on significant issues, of course, including North Korea. And also during a meeting with Central African Rep- uh, Republican, Republic President uh, Faustin Archange Tuadera, Yoon welcomed active exchange of high-ranking officials between the two nations. Nations. And last year, uh, the president of the Central African Republic made a historic visit to South Korea, marking the first visit by an African nation's president in 20 years. And he also extended his gratitude to the Seoul government for its diverse support in the development of his country. Now, Yun also met with uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, um, marking their first summit since uh, Netanyahu inauguration in his sixth term. And the two nations signed a free trade agreement in May last year, which came into force on the 1st of December, making South Korea the first Asian country to have an FTA with the Middle Eastern nation. Now, you emphasized the significance of the South Korea-Israel FTA as the first of its kind for South Korea in the Middle East. Uh, he met a lot of these figures whose names are quite difficult to pronounce. Um, this includes discussions with uh, Maritainian President Mohamed Old Ghazouani, and President Yoon suggested increased cooperation in the extraction of minerals such as copper and gold. And uh, they had a lot more exchanges regarding mineral development projects as well. And Yun also conducted meetings with leaders from Thailand, Bulgaria, Greece, and uh, Kyrgyzstan.
0: That's right. Uh, Guys, we're going to continue to, of course, uh, update you guys on President Yoon's visit to New York. But for now, we're going to move on, because as we've been talking about uh, all throughout this week, the domestic politics realm. Mm.
2: Can I just uh, quickly add something? Um, I mean, I've been talking about the actual speech that President uh, Yoon uh, had at the UN General Assembly. And uh, because she uh, spoke about the um, order of the countries, about the uh, Oh No, Which about oh. Uh, the, the summits oh, regarding the, summits. the Busan Expo. I just wanted to mention also the actual part in the speech that he had regarding the Busan uh, Expo um, a bit because on that stage he also had More than 300 words regarding the uh, South Korea's wish to host the Busan Expo. Uh, So not only did he talk about North Korea and Russia and uh, also the ODA and the CF Alliance, just Uh wanted to mention that. And that was the last part of his speech, actually. So it ended with the Busan Expo will be a festival where all nations can come together to share their history, culture, goods and visions for the future and will significantly contribute to the freedom, peace and prosperity of the citizens around the globe thank you so this is how the speech ended mm-hmm. at the UN General Assembly
0: with Busan. you know, Pusan. You know mm-hmm. I think it was like a couple of months ago I was kind of joking that I think Soa really wants to be that person that <laughs> pitches the Busan World Expo bid, uh, like uh, Na Seung-hyun, uh once did with the Pyeongchang Winter Games, and I really think now she's really doing this right now. She, so it, it kind of
2: felt like, yeah, while I'm while while I was doing this, I kind of felt like I'm on the stage there.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: well, welcome Busan.
0: Well, well, we'll we'll leave it at that because it's not your keynote speech, so, uh It's President Yoon's uh, keynote speech. No, but seriously, we're gonna move on to domestic mm-hmm. politics because I think this could have easily been the top story today. Uh, if not for the fact that uh, we had a slew of updates uh, coming in last minute just before our show. Uh, We talked about uh, two different motions being submitted to the National Assembly earlier this week. Uh, We are first going to talk about uh, Prime Minister Han Su, his dismissal motion that was submitted by the DP. Uh, This was passed that was, this was the first motion that was passed at the National Assembly on Thursday. It is quite unprecedented that this happens, that a prime minister has been uh, motioned to dismiss. Uh, a prime minister has happened in the Democratic Korea. Uh, Let's talk about this. So uh, give us the latest on this.
2: Right. The National Assembly voted 175 to 116 with four abstentions for the prime minister's dismissal this afternoon. The main opposition Democratic Party had submitted the dismissal motion against Han on Monday. Uh, The DP was pushing for this move, calling the prime minister incompetent as chief of the cabinet. And also uh, they are holding him responsible for the UN administration's what the opposition party refers to failed policies. More detailed reasons named are for instance the alleged mishandling of a probe into a young marine's death in flood surge operations in July. So the motion was passed with majority as required and as the DP holds the majority with 167 seats in the 297 headed parliament, the result is not too surprising. Uh, And along with members of the Justice Party, maybe there were also a few from the ruling party. Yeah,
0: we don't know. It's anonymous, Mm, right?
2: Right. Because if we have 175 votes and uh, then we have the DP's 167 seats and then we also have four abstentions, it could be that some of the ruling party have uh, voted uh, against the prime minister as well. However, uh, nevertheless, it is the first time that a dismissal motion against a prime minister has been passed through the National. Assembly. This result is unlikely, though, to lead to the actual dismissal of Prime Minister Han, though, as President Yoon Seok-yeol is highly expected to reject the motion, just the way he did when dismissal motions against Foreign Minister Pak Jin and Interior Minister Lee Sang-min were passed earlier. So then you might ask why the opposition party goes through this hassle. Uh, it's likely to put pressure on the Yun administration and to demonstrate that the president is not willing to listen to the opinions of uh, of parliament, as uh, it is obvious that he's going to reject it.
0: Yeah, so I think the motion for dismissal of Prime Minister Han Su being passed at the National Assembly was not so surprising. Mm-hmm. But again, uh, with President Yoon uh, holding the veto power, it's not going to be expected that he's going to be dismissed, like like you said with the uh, the other the the two ministers that we talked about here. But what was very, very surprising. I think this was a huge shock. I'm, again, I mentioned this earlier uh, on the show. We were talking to an expert and I said there is a possibility, I think, that uh, DP leader Lee jae could potentially get his uh, arrest motion, arrest warrant motion be passed because there might be a number of Democrats uh, who feel like he is a liability with the upcoming general, uh, general elections next year. Well, what happened was a lot of people did not actually feel that this was gonna happen, and it did. Uh, The National Assembly passing a motion seeking parliamentary consent (laughs) to the arrest of Mm -hmm. opposition leader Lee Jae-myung, this is quite a shocker one, and this is, of course, one that probably uh, the president is not going to use his veto power on. Gee, let's get the latest right. on that.
1: Well, the motion to arrest Democratic Party leader Lee jae was signed off, first of all, by President Yoon suk yeol earlier this week and was reported to, to the National Assembly on Wednesday, and the vote was carried out earlier today. Now, with the Liberal DP controlling a 167-seat majority in the National Assembly It had remained unclear whether Lee would be able to retain the same level of support he'd uh, received during the prosecutor's last motion to arrest him in February. However, in a 149-136 uh, votes during a plenary session, the Assembly passed the motion to lift arrest immunity for Lee of the main opposition Democratic Party, uh, who faces breach of trust, bribery, and other charges in connection with a scandal-ridden land development project and his alleged involvement in a company's illegal cash remittance to North Korea. Now, meanwhile, DP leader Lee Jae-myung did not attend the parliamentary vote on his arrest motion, and he did not vote nor speak in his own defense before the arrest motion was put to a vote. Now, apparently Lee has been on a hunger strike since the 31st of last month to protest uh, the Yoon Suk-yeol administration's economic and foreign policies.
0: Yeah, so now the big question is what is going to happen next because now just because the arrest motion was passed at the National Assembly, this doesn't mean that Lee Jae-myung will get arrested right away uh, for this. This is now going to go to the courts. So the big question now is if it goes to the courts, will the judges eventually uh, hand down the arrest motion or not is going to be big. But nevertheless, whichever it goes to, whether or not uh, if Lee Young uh, does end up getting arrested for this, uh, now that it's been passed, then obviously it's gonna send a huge ripple effect through the, the, the domestic political realm. If he does, he's found not guilty, and it, the motion does not go through, then it's also going to uh, create a huge ripple effect uh, towards the Yun administration, or I should say the, uh, the ruling party, I should say, the uh, People Power Party. And so this is going to be huge moving forward here. Uh, We are clearly going to keep a close tab on this and see how this is going to impact the domestic politics and also how this is going to impact uh, the upcoming general elections uh, come next April. Guys, uh, let's move on for now uh, to economic headlines. Uh, Starting off in the U.S., we've been watching uh, what the U.S. Federal Reserve has been doing with their key interest rates for some quite time now. They've been very aggressive with their rate hikes since March of last year. Uh, While they decided to keep their key interest rates unchanged for now, now, I guess. Uh, this is the second time consecutively. Uh, so well, let's get the latest details from the U.S. Central Bank.
2: Right. The U.S. Federal Reserve froze its benchmark interest rate on Wednesday for the second time in its past three meetings, meaning uh, leaving it between the 5.25 percent to 5.5 percent target range. And uh, this decision was widely expected. Uh It also indicated that uh, one more hike could come before the end of the year. I think that also has been predicted for a while now. And for 2024, fewer cuts were predicted than previously was indicated for next year. Uh, In a statement, the Fed said, quote, recent indicators suggest that economic activity has been expanding at a solid pace. Um, Here's a little difference from what they said in the last meeting. The solid pace was moderate pace in in the last meeting. So solid kind of sounds... A little more positive than moderate. Mm -hmm. And also, when it comes to job gains, the statement says, job gains have slowed in recent months, but remain strong. And the word strong has been, uh, that was earlier, robust. So here again, strong seems stronger than robust.
0: Really? I I, I don't know. I like robust better than strong, to be honest with you, when it comes to like economic figures. But I mean, I I guess... Maybe
2: it's just preference. I don't know. For me, to me, strong sounds... Stronger. Okay. Robust is just kind of
0: strong sounds strong. Okay. Okay.
2: <laughs> firm kind of it's it's okay, stable okay. for but strong sounds like it's a more positive okay. on a more positive note. Uh meanwhile, the FOMC or Federal Open Market Committee did note, however, that inflation remains a hurdle. And Jerome Powell, the Fed chair, said we have come very fast very far, very fast. Uh, and the pace of inflation is slowing. He said the Fed would therefore, quote unquote, move a little more slowly.
0: Yeah, but the thing is right now, the, the U.S. Central Bank continues to push for this 2% target, right? And considering mm-hmm. the fact that right now there's a lot of different external factors right now, a lot. Co- Korea has been, even Korea, right? I mean, they've kind of, they entered the 2% range. They didn't, I believe uh, the, the, the Bank of Korea's uh, target for inflation is also 2%. Uh, they hit the 2% range. I believe uh, the the furthest it went down was like two point nine percent. I believe was the the lowest it hit, and all of a sudden the uh, the oil prices, energy prices started skyrocketing again. And I believe it's still back in the uh, the three point something range at this time. Three point two, I believe. Uh, don't quote, quote me on this one, but it's very difficult for all the economies right now, all the countries to hit that 2% range, it's going to take forever. So I don't know why they're continuously pushing for this 2% range and saying, we're going to continue to uh, uh, raise hi- uh, hike, hike interest rates until we see this 2% range, because it just doesn't seem like it's going to come anytime soon. So does that mean even moving forward next year, that there's going to be more rate hikes? Because we are already getting this uh, hint that there's going to be another rate hike moving forward before the end of this year. Uh, but again, like I said, Monetary tightening in the U.S. expected to take longer than expected, uh, given the fact that Jerome Powell has said at least one more rate hike uh, by the end of this year. And the problem with this is that uh, Korea's Korea's economy is going to take a burden in this. Uh, Korea cannot afford to raise their interest rates uh, to keep up with the U.S. uh, Federal Reserve's uh, interest rate. And so if there is another hike, the gap gets wider. Jihee, let's get more on how this is going to impact uh, South Korea.
1: Sure. So if the U.S. monetary tightening takes longer than expected and the timing of interest rate cuts is delayed, now the burden on the Korean economy will be greater in all aspects, including funding, exchange rate, exports and consumption. Now, the BOK is also expected to keep the key interest rate unchanged at its upcoming monetary policy direction meeting, just like the U.S., and according to the minutes of the Financial Services Commission, uh, monetary uh, officials are in a dilemma regarding the situation because they can't easily raise rates as the economy continues to slow, and real estate project finance defaults are continuously growing, but they also can't lower them uh, given increasing household debt and rising oil prices now the bigger question is what happens after October now Uh, The interest rate gap between Korea and the U.S. will widen to 2.25 percentage points if the Federal Reserve raises rates in November or December as expected. And theoretically, if the Korean won, which is not a reserve currency like the dollar, has a significantly lower interest rate than the U.S., there is a greater risk that foreign investment funds will leave in search of higher yields, of course, and the won will depreciate. Unfortunately, although the divergence between the Korean and U.S. interest rates has widened to more than 1.75, uh, sorry, did I say unfortunately?
0: Well, I mean, for us, South Korea, I mean, it, it, if it gets widened, it's, it's not good yeah, for us. Yeah, that's
1: not good for us. Good for us. But fortunately, uh, uh, since early May, the Korean won dollar exchange rate has remained relatively stable at 1301 so far and no large scale foreign capital outflows have been observed. And a delayed US pivot and a longer uh, period of tightening are also, like I said, a uh, burden on the Korean economy because if US growth slows down due to the tightening, it will only it will not only continue to hurt Korean exports, but even if the domestic economy recovers slowly, Korea will have to maintain high interest rates due to the interest rate differential with the US. Now in this case, uh, borrowers would have to pay more in principle and consumption would likely shrink further and experts believe that the bok will not cut the key rate until the middle of next year
0: yeah I, what's interesting is again whatever the uh, the fomc meeting leads to and whatever decisions that the the policymakers make uh, heavily impact the market as well as the uh, the currency rate but uh, looking at the uh, stock markets here in korea even despite the news of uh, the US Fed freezing its rates, uh, it was a pretty bad day in the markets. Uh, Cosby went down 1.75%. You have the tech heavy Cosdaq down 2.5%. Also, you have the US dollar, uh, which rose against uh, against the Korean one significantly. Now it stands at 1,341, uh, and so it's climbing. And so you might be wondering if the US Fed froze their key interest rates. Why are we seeing the opposite results? And that's because, again, uh, Jerome Powell came out saying that uh, there is going to be another rate hike. And it's highly uh, highly likely that I think the Bank of Korea is probably not going to be raising their uh, rates. And so you're going to see that gap widen further. And so when it comes to, uh, you know, stocks and currencies, look at the future. And I think we're going to see the uh, the, the greenback goes stronger against the korean one moving forward here so i think for the time being we have to keep a close tab on this i don't know how much more it's going to impact uh the markets and the the economy here in south korea uh nevertheless let's move on here um <laughs> as if the u.s inflation reduction act uh well, was not
2: enough <laughs> was not
0: enough uh the ever so popular inflation reduction act i don't know how, i don't even know how that reduces <laughs> inflation anyways now we have the French version of the Inflation Reduction Act, and this has been made public. Uh, So uh, tell us how this is going to impact Korea. And first and foremost, what is the French version of the Inflation Reduction Act?
2: Yes, so France uh, France has uh, finalized its own version of the IRA, a country known for its outspoken criticism against the U.S. IRA. And the gist of the French government's bill is granting new regulations that determine differential subsidies based on carbon emissions during production and transportation of electric cars or electric car components. Although the measure is said to be more aimed at Chinese uh, EVs, there is concern that the South Korean electric car firms could be affected as well uh, because uh, it's not just uh, countries, um, not just China but other countries in East Asia that could be affected including Korea of course because according to this bill Um, points or scores. A score will be given regarding environment friendliness divided into six categories, steel, aluminum, other materials, batteries, assembly, and transportation. And that's going to calculate the eco-friendly score by summing up uh, how much of carbon emissions uh, these uh, categories uh, emit mm-hmm. so the lower the carbon emissions the higher the eco-friendly score right. and uh, if the total exceeds 60 points these government subsidies are given uh, but for aluminum for instance do you say aluminum
0: yes because i'm american yeah, okay
2: <laughs> I, I think i learned it the other way aluminum aluminum al- anyways that's uh, aluminum, for example, <laughs> um, carbon emission in Europe and North America are 8.6 kilograms and 8.5 kilograms respectively, compared to 18.5 kilograms and 20 kilograms in Korea and China respectively. So, and uh, in almost all sectors, uh, th- this could be a minus for Korea uh, when you compare the carbon emissions compared to electric vehicles made in Europe or the United States and uh, the thing is uh, it's not only expected to be France uh, with this kind of bill because yeah. uh uh, France's uh, President Emmanuel Macron had said, "We will be the first European country to reform the criteria for the allocation of the car bonus," but it looks like other European countries are going to follow suit. So we will have to keep an eye on this.
0: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's free for all these days. Everything is disconnected, and I'm not going to play any blame games. But I think someone started it. Uh, let's uh, round things out with one really interesting story here: the UK government's latest announcement. Uh, and delaying the country's transition to EV has caused a much backlash. And what's interesting is, I went to England recently, there's a lot of EVs uh, out there. So what's, what's the latest on this, Chihie?
1: Well, the UK government's decision to delay the country's transition to electric vehicles has been publicly criticized by some automakers because uh, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak announced today that the ban on new sales of gasoline and diesel cars will be delayed from 2030 to 2035, that's five years. And the announcement was first reported in the media the day before, uh, prompting the Prime Minister to hold a quick press conference to make it official. And uh, many, of course, automakers are uh, opposing this move. For example, in a statement, Kia said the move could confuse the automotive industry and consumers and uh, also disrupt the supply chain. And it said this is likely to result in changes to complex supply chain negotiations and product planning and disruption to consumers and the whole industry. And it also expressed disappointment and added that many people have worked and invested uh, in these plans uh, s- set by them like earlier to 2030. Mm-hmm. And also Ford's UK representative also strongly criticized the UK government's decision to delay the transition, saying that ambition, commitment and continuity of the whole industry will be undermined by this recent announcement.
0: Yeah, I think just the, the public as a whole though there's a lot of people who are saying that it's it's just not ready yet uh, number one there's not enough charging stations Uh, Number two, the affordability. Number three, the battery life is the other thing. And there's still been um, some issues with these electric vehicle batteries here in Korea, despite the fact that Korean uh, automakers have been doing a fantastic job making them. So I think maybe a slower transition, obviously, you know, the automobile companies are not gonna really like this, but I think the public sentiment, uh, it feels otherwise. Guys, uh, thank you very much for joining us today. Have a safe rest of your week and we'll see you again again next time. Thank you. you.